reading from chapter 12 of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with verse 49. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three, they will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It is going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Thus, when you go with your accuser before a magistrate, on the way, make an effort to settle the case, or you may be dragged before the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Normally, if I read a blonde reference like that, I would say, Jesus said, so that you would know that it was Jesus speaking, because it really just begins with, I came to bring fire to the earth. So if you're just hearing that and you haven't been reading or you you don't know that in Luke 12 Jesus has been teaching all this hard stuff, you might wonder, who is saying this? It doesn't sound like something Jesus would say, does it? It doesn't sound like our Sunday school Jesus. It doesn't say something, sound like something that Jesus who said the meek will inherit the earth would say. It sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? It's a little surprising. We hear Jesus say today that He's coming to bring division. I confess that's a little hard to hear. As hope and joy and love and peace are some of my favorite sermon words. I try to fit them in wherever I can. But hearing Jesus say He came to bring division, when all we talk about is community and being made one with Christ, one with each other, one ministry to all the world, And yet, our Lord says, I came to bring division. Boy, it's hard to hear. When I find myself thinking, I still believe, I still believe that the kingdom of Christ is about joy, love, peace, and hope. Even though Jesus has just said to me, I came to bring division. And today, Jesus' words force me to acknowledge that there are some who will eternally and without remorse deny Christ's place in their life. They might say they believe this Jesus stuff, 
But they're not going to have anything to do with living like Jesus says we should live. As a matter of fact, most of the time they'll try to explain it away. Oh, Jesus didn't really mean we should sell all we have and give to the poor. Well, it's what He said. He didn't recuse Himself from the discussion. He didn't say, oh, wait, wait, I misspoke. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, my boat's still in the yard. I used it a little more this week so I could feel more guilty. Division. And if you stop and you think about it, isn't the truth that sometimes Jesus even brings division within ourselves? And we argue with ourselves about the things that we know He would tell us to do. We see someone that we don't like and we know Jesus would say, forgive them for what they've done to you. We say, no Lord, I don't want to. <laughs> right? Or we hear a sermon on forgiveness and we think, you tell them preacher. And the preacher was worried that you were going to get ticked off about that sermon. <laughs> Truly happened to me once. I just knew somebody was going to leave one of the churches I was preaching in because of a sermon. I felt I had to preach. And that person walked up to me after the service and said, You told them, preacher. I was like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what in the world do we do with that? Came to bring division? I thought it was all about peace, love, joy, harmony. Kumbaya, my Lord. Right? Apparently not. Apparently, apparently something about Jesus demands some kind of choice about how we're going to live. Either we're going to live for Him and the way He calls us to live, or we're going to live for ourselves. And do all those things we really want to do regardless of what Jesus says. I've titled this sermon, The End of Twelve. Because I'm a little glad to get to the end of chapter 12. Because I feel like Jesus has been stomping my feet. He told me, don't be greedy. Just the other day, I was in Sportsman Incorporated up there. Because you know they opened the bridge. And it's easy to get to. And in their little fishing reel counter, apparently they've decided they're going to get out of the fishing reel business. And they have a lose tournament model reel. I love those reels. It's $40 off. I thought to myself, I should buy that. And then I thought to myself, you just told your church that it's sinful the number of reels you have, and you're going to stand in that case and have an argument with yourself about buying that reel. And then I had to say, but Jesus would say, sell it and give that money to the poor. What are you going to do, David? You're going to hoard up more stuff for yourself? And then I thought, I could give it away. That's a great price. Jesus said, where our treasure is, there our hearts will be. Sometimes my heart isn't fishing too much. Where's your heart sometimes? Where are you laying up your treasures? Where are those places that you know you focus too much of your energy, too much of your money, too much of your life? Maybe even in ways that aren't helpful. Sometimes I think about going fishing on Saturday night. I think, you know, I could fish till four. And I could get up and... Then I would come and preach a sermon that would sound like gibberish, right? And they would say, that preacher went fishing last night, so y'all would know. And I couldn't talk about all the big fish I caught. Division. And that's kind of a simple way, but what a, you know, think about those times when you've been involved in something and you felt like you needed to say something to somebody about something they were doing, and you said, oh no, then they won't like me. I went to a baseball game and watched a woman bless people out at a baseball game. They're children. 
Somebody's laughing. They were there too. It was disturbing. She was a Christian, by the way. Division. Justo Gonzalez gives a helpful illustration, I think, of how this division happens. You ever seen a parade? Raise your hand if you've seen a parade. Keep your hand raised if you've been in a parade. Some of you raised your hand that didn't have much when you saw a parade. If you were in a parade and didn't see it, that's a good trick. <laughs> he says, imagine you're in a parade and you're marching along, right? And all of a sudden, you hear a command to turn and go the other way, and all the other people say, but we don't want to go the other way. We want to go with the parade. Well, what happens? Division, right? Say you're right there in the middle of the parade, and, and, the, and you hear the parade director say, turn left, but everybody else wants to go parading downtown. And they keep going, but you turn left. You've created division, right? And Gonzalez says that's how division happens when we follow Jesus. Because believe it or not, not the entire world wants to live like Jesus says we should live. Very few people in our nation subscribe to the notion that where our treasure is, our heart is. Most of them want to turn that around and say where our heart is, there our treasure will be. Right? Greed. I mean, it's like the American way. <laughs> it's not just us. I mean, Volkswagen, right? Had us all convinced they were producing these awesome cars that were pollution-free <laughs> so they could sell more of them. That's capital G-R-E-E-D. Not caring about what we do, not caring about how it affects others, now let me ask you, is that something you think Jesus would condone? Thinking about our students going to class this week. High schoolers. Everybody look at me for a minute that's going to high school. I know normally you guys look at me and I'm like that pastor that actually has fun and like everybody else's pastor and likes to laugh and joke and stuff. And that's cool. But I've got to speak to you as a pastor and a parent right now. Lynn, don't, don't duck under the pew. <laughs> Listen, when you get there, there are going to be people there who are going to offer you drugs. They're going to offer you alcohol. They're going to invite you to do things. They're going to invite you to do sexual things and things like that and tell you everybody's doing it. Adults, am I right? Say yes if I'm right. Y'all been there, right? Pastor's not making this up. That's the direction the parade is going, right, adults? We know that. We've been in it longer. The parade is headed toward death and destruction. Your master has called you to turn and walk the other way. It's going to cause friction. Somebody's going to say, you're a nerd, you're a geek, you're a Jesus wimp. Tell them, thank you. If someone calls you a Jesus freak because you won't cheat at work, tell them, thank you. If someone puts you down and says, you're just taking this faith stuff too seriously, tell them, thank you. And keep doing it. Because Christ has called us to walk a different direction than the world tells us to walk. That is plain. There's nothing more plain than that in this world. The world is hurtling toward death. I can remember when I was a kid, Mom said, why'd you do it? I can't tell you why, because it happened a lot. <laughs> I thought I tried to single out one occurrence, but I just couldn't. My dad would say, what were you thinking? And for the life of me, I always want to say I wasn't. But I knew I would get in more trouble, right? <laughs> Dad, what makes you think I was thinking? Didn't you hear what I did? <laughs> and my mom would say, well, why did you do it? I said, because everybody else was doing it. 
And I felt like I would be left out. And you know what she would always say? Well, would you jump off a cliff? And I always wanted to say, yeah! Because I'd be embarrassed because everybody else is jumping off the cliff and I want to be cool, right? And we laugh because that sounds like a teenage problem, but that's a real life problem. That's an adult problem. That's everybody from the senior citizens that meet at Bojangles all down to the fourth graders that are showing up to school this week. We all want to be like, we all want somebody's affirmation. We all want the world to say, I like them Christians. But Jesus has told us pretty plainly, if we're following him, they're going to hate us. They're going to hate us. If we're following Jesus, Jesus said the world will hate us, and he said, hey, they hated me first. A reminder, you know, the world took him and nailed him to a tree. Remember that story? What do you think they're going to want to do to you if you follow him? What do you think people are going to want to do to you if you start not piling stuff up for yourself but helping the poor? doesn't have anything to do with paying more taxes. That's a cop-out, right? Government wants to convince us if we send them more money, they'll help the poor. We've been sending the government money for the poor since 1920-something. Has not worked. Jesus told the church to do it. You know what the church said? Hey, we pay taxes. We ain't giving no more. And you know what's happened to the poor? They've gotten poorer. All the rhetoric the government offers about all the great things they can do, and yet they've done nothing. For two years, as a matter of fact, one party had complete control of everything and did nothing. And now in this election season, they're going to tell you how the next person will do nothing. Isn't that funny? That's what I love about human beings. They're predictably liars. It's easy to figure human beings out. We're on a parade toward death and destruction, walking as fast as we can go. And Jesus is saying, turn around, the bridge is out. And what do we do? Nah, Jesus, we like it this way. But we know better. We hear him say these things and we say, oh, they're just words. That's just Jesus being Jesus. We don't really have to do it. But listen to what he says. He says, you're going to trial one day and the accuser The judge and the accuser are the same. Maybe you should work it out before you get there, he says. Maybe we should ponder the possibility that we should actually live like Jesus is calling us to live, and I'm going to be the first to tell you that that will hurt me. It's hard. Just doing this was hard enough. Stopping being an architect and becoming a pastor. Do you know my primary reason not wanting to be a pastor is I had seen how churches treated pastors? Have I ever told y'all that before? Not y'all. Y'all are great. I love you. But some pastors out there aren't so fortunate. What in the world would happen if the church started living like Jesus said to live? I bet we turned the world upside down. I bet they'd hate us again. And you know what? The world would be better off. Somebody told me one time that they're glad they live in a nation where we can worship without fear of persecution. I believe we can worship without fear of persecution, not because of our liberty, but because we've been tamed by the government. They said, oh, if you do political speech, you'll lose your tax-exempt status. And we all went, oh, 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 okay. We don't want to pay taxes. They said, you can't say that. It's hate. And we said, oh, 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 okay. What if we decided 
we were more concerned about what Jesus thinks than what our friends think, what our neighbors think, what the government thinks, what our banker thinks, what our investment attorney thinks, what our investment counselor thinks. What if we decided we were more concerned about what Jesus thinks than what the world thinks? And I'm including myself in that we. I sense that from what Jesus is saying, there would be division. But I also sense that that division is a good thing. Because the more the world can see the difference between the world and the church, the more the world can see the mercy and grace of God. The more the world sees us love people, the more the world can see the possibility that God might love them. So it is odd to hear Jesus talking about bringing division. He brings division even in ourselves. Even Paul said, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. That's that's what I keep on doing. Christ brings division. That moment when we decide to turn and walk the other way in the middle of a parade of lemmings who are rolling off to death and destruction. When we give up on being cool, on being rich, on being important, on being profitable, on being all those prideful things that we talk about. When we give up on asserting our individuality and doing all those things the world encourages us to do and instead choose to follow Christ, there will be division, but it's a good thing. Because in that division, the world can see the difference that knowing Jesus makes. Jesus isn't calling us to be different from the world for the sake of condemning the world, but so that the world can see His work in us. And see the need that the world has to know a loving Father. There are tensions in our lives that hold us in the status quo. I want to share with you a story about a rather famous person. But first I'd like for you to open your hymnal. Turn to page 481. And I don't want you to read it quite yet, but I want you to see that it's in your hymnal. And you know, if it's in your hymnal, it means that somebody in Methodism thought we should know it, right? Usually, if something's in the hymnal, it's a pretty good indication that we think highly of it. And one of the things that's thought highly of is the prayer of St. Francis. You've heard of St. Francis before? Saints are not quite as big a deal in, in Methodism. We only have one official one, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, interestingly enough, turned in the middle of the parade and marched against Hitler and was killed for it. Talk about deciding to follow Jesus. Made the conscious decision as a German pastor to oppose the church and Hitler and a church that was giving in to Hitler so that it could be safe. Think there's any danger in the church being tamed? Look at Hitler. But Bonhoeffer wouldn't have it. And Methodism has looked up to him ever since. But here's a prayer of St. Francis. St. Francis was born 
Francis Bernadorn at the end of the 12th century. His father was a wealthy cloth merchant. They had plenty of cash. And he had high hopes for his son, that his son would be somebody important. That he would become a knight in a war, and maybe go out and win a new province. That he would be fabulous. And his father was proud of his son. But something happened to Francis. He started going to church. He started worshiping God. He started hearing about this Jesus that calls us to live differently than the world and to attain to things different than the world chases after. And you know what? His life changed. Francis' life changed because Jesus got into him and challenged him and his family's expectations. He began asking God what God wanted him to do. And over time, he became convinced that God did not want him to be a dashing knight, a public figure, that God wanted him to be a true follower of Christ, a disciple. And he became convinced that God wanted him to serve the poorest of the poor. And where he lived, there were a tremendous amount of poor. Francis heard the Scripture say, sell all you have and give to the poor. And get this, he did it. That's why his prayers in the hymnal. He shook the world up. He did it. He took Jesus at his word and he did it. He even changed clothes with a beggar one day, took the beggar's clothes and spent time begging in the streets of Rome so that he could know what it was like to be that poor. And you know what that did? It made his father angry. It brought division. But Francis stands as a model to Christians today of the generosity that Christ calls us to. Father against son and son against father. St. Francis' father threw him in jail. took him to court. And Francis of Assisi, as he became known, said, No longer is Pietro Barnadorn my father, for from now on my father is in heaven. We can admire Francis for his heroic and noble stand, but the truth is the pain of it is real and lasting. The pain of division, losing his father, his father decided he hated him because he wanted done, had to have hurt But Francis chose to follow Christ instead of the dreams of his father. And sometimes that puts us at at odds with people. It puts us at odds with people in our own families. It puts us at odds with people in our neighborhood. It puts us at odds with people at work. Division. But there's something to be said about being Christ people of peace. And Francis' prayer says that. Make me an instrument of your peace, God, he says. Because if Christ brings division, it's only so that we will seek peace. 
It's only because peace is possible. There is hope that those who refuse to turn in the parade can hear His voice and turn. And St. Francis asked to be part of that. He asked that Christ would use him to be an instrument of peace, to turn people's thoughts to Christ, and to seek His way of life. But the way of life that Jesus has shown us is not easy. To put loving God first and loving our neighbor ahead of our own needs is hard. It's not easy. Especially putting our neighbor ahead of our own wants. Because isn't that truly where we get into trouble? When we turn a blind eye to the hurting because we want more. I'd like to offer you an opportunity if that's not the way of life you want. If the way of life that you want is a life that looks like the, Jesus, the life that Jesus has called us to, a life of love, of loving God and loving our neighbor, maybe we could join St. Francis in praying these words and meaning them from the heart. Seeking to be instruments of peace instead of division. Seeking to be people who call the rest of those walking to turn and walk with Christ. If that's your heart, would you join me in praying this prayer in number 481? Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine Master, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.